we begin a new year together, I want to put a phrase of Scripture before you today that I believe to be personally one of the most intimidating and yet awe-inspiring phrases contained in the Word of God. It's first quoted in the book of Leviticus, and Simon Peter quotes it in his letter of 1 Peter, and here's simply what it says. You shall be holy, for I am holy. I want you to read that out loud with me this morning. You shall be holy, for I am holy. As you read that and as you hear that today, I don't know where it finds you. Some of us hear that phrase of Scripture and what is inspired in us Our response to that is a feeling of frustration because we see that as a standard that seems so high that it's unattainable. You shall be holy for I am holy. We see ourselves as never measuring up to that statement no matter how hard we try. We fail. So that produces in us an element of frustration. There are a lot of Christians who are living right there. Maybe that's where you're starting 2014. For some, this statement produces a feeling of fear. Because if holiness is really what God expects, then I'm in real trouble, right? If holiness is the standard defined and desired by God, then there's no way I can ever please Him. I mean, Pastor, I I know who I am, and holy ain't it, to use a colloquialism. For some of us, it's a feeling of resistance. You shall be holy, for I am holy. When we hear that, We're just going to be honest. There's some stuff in our lives we're not ready to let go of. Some stuff we're hanging on to. And we hear that and we kind of push away from it. Maybe it's not overt. Maybe it's not in a spirit of defiance, but... There's just some stuff we'd rather keep over here in the corner and not deal with that right now. And the reality is it doesn't matter what our response to it is. It stands before us as the voice of God speaking to His people. You shall be holy for I am holy. 
I've told you before that I was mentored and discipled in many ways by a man by the name of Clyde Cranford. If you are a regular attender at Hope, the name Clyde Cranford is not new to you. You have heard his name. I've referenced him many times through the years. God brought Clyde into my life at a time when I was really going through a period of brokenness and God used him to shape my life in many ways and to teach me a lot of spiritual truths and to help me grow in my love relationship with Jesus. And Clyde was one of those guys who knew what it was to meditate on the Word of God. Now, there's some people who read the Bible, but that's not the same as meditating on the Word of God. Clyde was a man who (coughs) thought deeply on the things of God, so much so that Clyde died a young man. He was 45 when he went home to be with the Lord. They found him sitting in his living room in his chair with his Bible and notebook and pen in his lap, spending time with the Lord one minute here by faith, and with the next breath, he was in the presence of Jesus himself, enjoying fellowship with the Father. Clyde told me the story that one night he was in his bed meditating on Scripture, trying to drift off to sleep. Clyde didn't count sheep. Clyde meditated on Scripture. So he was in his bed meditating on Scripture, and God brought that phrase that I've just read for you to his mind, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Clyde told me, he said, Vance, most of my life when I heard that phrase, I heard it like this, be holy because I said, be holy. He said, that night as I was meditating on that phrase, I heard it like I'd never heard it before. And here's what the voice of God spoke into my heart. Be holy because I am holy. And if you love me, you're going to want to be like me. I'll never forget Clyde sharing that with me, and I kind of wrote down a reality statement that I want to give you as we begin this morning. Here's what it says. Holiness is not a demand of God to be achieved. Holiness is the invitation of God to be enjoyed. Let that resonate with you for a minute. It's not a demand of God to be achieved. Be holy. No. It's the invitation of God to be enjoyed. To a life that I could never experience apart from Him in me. The reality is that every one of us that are children of God today have a longing in our soul for holiness. That's why some of you Some of you sitting in this room made New Year's resolutions that specifically deal with some areas in your life that you know aren't pleasing to God. And as the new year begins, you desire, well, what is it that that gives us that desire to leave those things and move closer in our walk with God? Every child of God has in our heart a longing for holiness. And for the month of January... What we're going to do as a faith family is we're going to try to create an environment where we're really pursuing holiness together. 
want to use this month to, for lack of a better term, calibrate our hearts to be in tune with the holiness of God. We all have a heart cry for it. One of the greatest heart cries ever recorded for this attitude of holiness is recorded by the psalmist in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, at the end of this beautiful psalm, the psalmist cries out, and you can hear, he didn't use the word holy, but he's crying out for the holiness of God. And listen to what he says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Search me, O God. That's what we're calling the series for the month of January. Search me, O God. As we go through this month together that will kind of reach a climax at the end of the month when we gather for a two-day worship experience called Awaken in groups, as individuals, in our weekend services. We're asking God to search us, to examine our hearts, and to produce His holiness in us. We're asking and inviting God in this month to work in us, that he might work through us for his glory. So we're going to do something a little bit different right here as we begin, all right? I'm going to put that phrase back up on the screen. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Just put that up there. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And while we meditate over this phrase on the screen, what I would like Now go to the other one. Put the you shall be holy verse up there. What I want you to do is I want you to meditate on this verse of Scripture while Teddy sings over us Psalm 139. He's going to sing this psalm over us and just give us a couple of minutes to just kind of still our hearts before the Lord. And corporately what we're going to do in these couple of minutes is I want, as Teddy sings this prayer over us, make it the cry of your heart. So let's let God speak to us right now. Search me, Lord, right now and see if anything inside of me would grieve your heart. Please help me see it and take it away. Search me, Lord, right now and see if anything inside of me would grieve your heart please help me see it and take it away search my heart oh Lord test my thoughts oh
he's saying today what's God speaking into your heart Lord we ask you in this month to speak to us God we ask you to search us to examine us Lord, produce your holiness in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we kind of begin to lay a foundation for this, I want to give you two encouraging realities as we kind of dive into this talk today. Here's the first one. Holiness is possible in the life of a believer. If you are a child of God today, you need to understand holiness is a possibility for you. You can live a life set apart for the glory of God and you can live a life set apart from the power and domination of sin in your life. Holiness is possible. God said be holy. It's an imperative. That means it's not a suggestion. He's describing for us the expected way of life for his children. F.B. Meyer said it this way, God would not call us to heights we could not scale or to tasks we could not perform. God wouldn't give us a command, an imperative, be holy, if holiness was something that escaped possibility for us. Holiness is possible. When you see that phrase, be holy, you need to understand that as a Christ follower, that is possible for you today. Here's the second encouraging truth. Holiness is about what God is doing in me and not about what I'm doing for God. Holiness is about what God is doing in me and not about what I'm doing for God. It's not about my performance for God. It's about my position in God's family. Holiness is what God is doing. Holiness is not what I am doing. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. I want to put them up on the screen. Listen to what it says. It says, now, that's an important word, right? When is now? Now, right? That means today, this moment. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Who's doing the sanctifying? The God of peace himself, right? I mean, he says it emphatically. He could have just said, now may God sanctify you. But he says, now may God himself. He's the one doing it. 
The word sanctify here is the verb form of the same word that's translated holy in 1 Peter. It's the active form of that word. So you could literally translate it, now may God himself make you holy. And then he adds this word, entirely. May God do this. Now listen to what it goes on to say. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Then he says this. Faithful is he who calls you. Calls you to what? Holiness. Faithful is he who calls you. And then what's the next word? And. Say that word. And. Hey, that's an important and, right? Faithful is he who calls you to holiness. And he will also bring it to what? To pass. Here's what that means. He's going to finish what he started. Holiness is not about what I'm doing for God. Holiness is not my response to God's love for me and salvation. Holiness is what God is doing in and through me by his grace. Holiness is possible and holiness is the work of God in us conforming us to the image of his son. So with those two encouraging realities, here's what I want to do. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read a few verses here, and then I want to ask and answer two questions, and we're done. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what it says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, if we're going to take the entire month, we're going to focus on this theme of holiness and what it looks like in our lives, there's a very important question we need to start with. What is holiness, right? Because some of you come from backgrounds where you didn't go to church at all, and holiness might as well mean outer space, right? I mean, you don't have a box for that. Holiness, what in the world is holiness? I don't even know what that word is. I've seen it on paper, but what is holiness? Some of you come from church backgrounds, and your view of holiness is just as distorted and mixed up, right? Because holiness in some religious context can drive more people from God than it invites to God, if you don't understand it correctly. So we need to understand biblically what is holiness. And to do that, we need to look at holiness from two perspectives. First of all, we need to understand holiness as it applies to God himself. Because in the text, he said we're to be holy because he is holy. So listen to the way A.W. Tozier writes about the holiness of God. I love this quote. Look what he says. Holy is the way God is. To be holy He does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. He is the absolute quintessence of moral excellence. Infinitely perfect in righteousness, purity, rectitude, and incomprehensible holiness. God is holy. Now, the defining scene in the Bible that really, to me, articulates the holiness of God 
is in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, this morning, I'm not going to read Isaiah 6 for you. I want to encourage you later on today, sometime, open your Bible, read Isaiah 6. But in Isaiah chapter 6, God allows the prophet Isaiah to have a vision to see God seated on the throne of the universe. And the Bible says Isaiah records it, and he sees God sitting on the throne, and he says that the train of his robe fills the temple. And Isaiah says that there are these, what he called seraphim, these winged creatures with six wings wings each. The Bible says with two they cover their eyes, with two they cover their feet, and with two they hover around the throne of God day and night, and these winged creatures are crying this all the time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then they do it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You ever wondered why they repeat the word holy three times? Well, I've wondered that, but I didn't ever really know until I met a guy named Walter Price. Walter's a pastor down in Southern California, and Walter shared something with me about the Hebrew language that I didn't know before. And this understanding of why they repeat it three times is rooted in something that you and I learned in English class growing up in school. How many of you remember from English class when the teacher taught you about Positive, comparative, and superlative degrees. I know everybody's going, oh, yeah, I remember that, right? Only the English teachers in the room are going, that's right, preacher, that's good stuff. Positive, comparative, and superlative degrees. To be honest with you, had no idea what that meant. Had to look it up when he told me that, all right? So here's what it means. Positive, comparative, superlative is like this. McDonald's is good. Chick-fil-A is better. <laughs> Texas Day Brazil is best, right? That's positive, comparative, and superlative. We might say, today it's cold. Yesterday it was colder. In Green Bay today it is coldest, right? So depending on your perspective, there's positive, comparative, and superlative. In the Hebrew language, they don't do it that way. The way they show positive, comparative, and superlative is through repetition. So to say he is holy is to say simply he is holy. To say he is holy, holy is to say that in comparison to others, he is holier than them. But to say he is holy, holy, holy is to say he is holiest, meaning there is no one in the same category as God. He alone is transcendent in his holiness. God is holy. I love the way Clyde said it. He said, holiness does not define God. God defines holiness. It belongs to him alone. Holiness as it applies to God. But secondly, we need to understand holiness as it applies to us as human beings because he said you be holy because I am holy to understand that we need to look at that from two perspectives first of all holy is who we are that is positional holiness I want everybody to look this way and I want you to listen carefully if you are a Christian look at me look at me listen you 
are holy. I want you to do this. I want you to look at the person sitting next to you, and I want you to say, you are holy. I know what you're thinking. Man, they don't look like it, right? Boy, when I sat down beside them, that's not what I was thinking. Listen, positionally, we have been made holy. Over 60 times in the New Testament, almost every one of Paul's letters begins with this word, the word saint. I'm writing to you saints. The Bible refers to you and I as saints. Did you know the word saint is the exact same Greek word that in 1 Peter chapter 1 is translated holy? The word saint simply means holy ones. Every time the Bible refers to a Christian as a saint, what the Bible is saying is you and I are holy. In Jesus Christ, we have been made holy. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Look what it says. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is, said out loud, holy. And now read the last phrase out loud. I want you to read it. Go. I didn't say that. That's what the book says, right? The book says, and that is what you will be. What does it say? That's what you are. Here's what that means. If you are a child of God, as you sit here today, God looks at you as holy. Holy. You and I have been made holy in Christ. Listen, one of the greatest things that could happen to you and I today is that if we would leave here beginning to see ourselves based on what the Bible says about us and not what just we see in our practice and in our culture, we need to begin to, by faith, claim the truth of God's Word. And God's Word says you and I are holy. I see people sometimes riding around. they got the bumper sticker on their car that says, Sinners saved by grace. Listen, I am am thankful to God for the grace that saved me from my sin. But I don't see myself now as a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of the living God who's been set apart and redeemed and been made holy in Christ. And I need to live out of who I now am in Him. I've been made holy. Here's what that means. After you and I have been in heaven for 10,000 years, did you know you won't be any more holy than you are right now before God? Because your holiness is not based on your performance. Your holiness is based on your position in Christ. And in my position in Christ, I've been made holy in Him. You say, how in the world did that happen? Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made Him. That's God the Father made Him, God the Son, who knew no sin. To be sin on 
our behalf. When did that happen? On the cross. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin. On the cross, Jesus took all of my sin. On the cross, Jesus took all of our unholiness. Jesus took all of our ungodliness. Jesus took all of our wickedness. And on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. And on the cross, God poured out his wrath on all of our sin in Christ And the Bible says when you and I put our faith and trust in the glorious finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, put that verse back up there. I want you to see the second half because you don't get the whole deal without the second half. Look at the second half. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Then what does it say? So that. That's important. Anytime you see those words so that, it means here's the reason why. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what happened. This is so awesome. Jesus took all of my sin. Jesus took all of my godliness. Jesus took all of my holiness. Jesus took all of my worthiness. And when I put my faith in him, he gave me all of his righteousness. That means... When God sees me, he sees me as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Is that because I deserve it? No. It's the grace of God that saved me from my sin. Positional holiness is that we have been made holy in Christ. Holy is who we are. Let me show you the second thing. Holy is what we are becoming. You say, uh, you just said I am holy. And now you said I'm becoming holy. Which is it? Yes. Here's what it means. Positionally, I have been declared holy by God. My standing before God is secure. It's eternal. It's settled in the finished work of Christ. But in practice, God is now fleshing out in my life practically what is true about me positionally, which is holiness. On a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, We are being conformed to his image so that the holiness which is ours before him is fleshing out in us in his life before men. Clyde said it this way. I love this paragraph. He said, hence we do not have a holiness like God's. We have God's holiness, both positionally and practically. Positionally, we wear on our hearts an identifying mark, the mark of God's image, of God's likeness. This mark is holiness. In an outward behavioral sense, if we are not merely moral but truly holy, it is because the very life of the Holy One is being manifested through us both positionally and practically. Holiness is our likeness to God. Before him, positionally, I've been declared to be holy based on his grace. Now what's happening in my life is day by day, he's practically working out in my life the holiness which is mine positionally. And here's why the and a few moments ago is so important. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. He's going to finish what he started in each and every one of us. You see, holy is what God is. Holy is what I am 
in Him. And holy is what I am becoming practically through Him. If that positional and practical holiness, if that makes sense to you, just say amen. Well, Peter adds one more phrase that kind of ups the ante a little bit. Look what he says. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Man, it would have been easier if he left that phrase out, right? And all your behavior. The word all, you know what it means, right? All. No deep revelation there. It means every part. The word behavior is translated many times in the New Testament as way of life or way of living. And I love what he said. He said, like the Holy One who called you. Let me give you a a paraphrase of that. Like God, you be holy in every detail of the way you live your life. Wow. You see the problem? We've compared ourselves to the wrong standard. We've said, well, I'm, yeah, I may not be perfect, but I'm, I'm better than the people out there in the world. Or we'll pick out some other Christian that we go to church with, you know. Well, I may not be, but you seen this guy? I'm better than him. Here's the way John Eldred said it. I love this. John Eldred said, this is human nature. To find a morality that is comfortable and convenient and let that suffice for holiness. That's what we do. We create our own sense of morality and we let that become our substitute for holiness and we settle for a cheap counterfeit of what God's really invited us into. The Bible didn't say, like your brothers and sisters in Christ, be holy in all you. It said, like God. Here's the point. God has made me holy in Christ. And God desires to manifest that holiness in every detail of my life. And this is important. I wrote this down this morning as I was just praying over this again. Here's what I wrote down. This this statement here, this is not me trying to be something I'm not. This is me allowing Jesus to be who he is. In and through me. You see, we hear that standard, like God, be holy. And we go, I'm out. (laughs) I can't do that. And guess what? You're right. We can't. But guess what? He can. Because it's who he. Remember who defines holy? God does. God is holy. And God now lives in me in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And holiness is not me trying to be something I'm not. Holiness is me dying to self and allowing Christ to be who he is in and through me. That is holiness. Now, 
over the course of this month, as we wrestle with this together, there are some questions that I want to give you. We don't have time to really unpack these today. Maybe we will as we go through the month. But I want to give you four questions that you can write them down. And they kind of reveal our, our personal pursuit of holiness. As we pursue Christ and His holiness in us, we should be wrestling with these four questions. Here's the first one. Am I being honest with God about everything in my life? You heard what the psalmist said, search me, O God. That word search in Hebrew is a word that has to do with an archaeological dig. It's digging and boring into the earth looking for something. It's not just kind of a surface glance that we're talking about. We're talking about getting real transparent and real honest before God this month. And can I let you in on a secret? He already knows. Am I being honest with God about everything in my life? Here's the second question. Am I sensitive to that which grieves the heart of God? He said, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. The word hurtful is a word that means that which causes pain or grief. God, look deep in me. Lord, is there anything in me that grieves you, that hurts you? Andy Stanley, in his book, Louder Than Words... Listen to what he said. When what grieves the heart of God no longer grieves you, your heart is hard. When what bothers God doesn't bother you anymore, your heart is hard. Third question. Am I allowing God's word to be the standard for my behavior? Is God's word my standard or... Am I allowing culture or opinions or religion to be my standard? He said, and lead me in the everlasting way. That means God's eternal way, which is revealed for us in his word. What's the standard for the way that you live? Well, other people do this. It's good. I'm all right. Or is it the word of God? Fourth question. Am I consistently examining the things that influence my life? In the text that we read in 1 Peter, he said, Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. That word conform means to be shaped by something. Am I examining the things that shape my life? Listen to what John Eldridge said again in his book, The Utter Relief of Holiness. He said, You have a say in what your heart gives way to. You have a say in what you allow to shape and to speak into your life. Well, that's what holiness is. So I'm going to close with, with one more question that doesn't take near as long to answer. How do I do this? How do I become holy? And the key, practically, positionally we're already holy, but practically how this fleshes itself out, the key is in 1 Peter chapter 1. We've already read it, verse 14. First phrase, listen to what it said. As obedient children be holy he didn't say as obedient soldiers it's not a command or an order just to be he didn't say as obedient slaves he said as obedient children there's a TV show that I absolutely love 
Some of you maybe have never seen it. Some of you, I'm sure, have seen it. Take a listen to this and see if you recognize the TV show I'm talking about. Who knows what that is? The Andy Griffith Show, right? I'm going to put a picture up here of the Andy Griffith Show, and it just warms my heart seeing that picture on the screen. I love the Andy Griffith Show. I love the Andy Griffith Show. If you've never had the privilege of seeing the Andy Griffith Show, bless your heart. And if you're not from the South, you don't understand what I just said. But I just said, hmm. I love, now, but, but here's what's interesting. The Andy Griffith Show was produced and televised from 1960 to 1968. I was born in 1971. Why do I love the Andy Griffith Show? Let me tell you why I love the Andy Griffith Show. Every day when my dad would get home from work, I'd be there home from school. Every day at 5 o'clock in our town in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, on TBS, the Andy Griffith Show would come on television. And every day my dad and I would sit down in our living room and my dad would turn on the Andy Griffith Show and my dad and I would watch the Andy Griffith Show. Now, when we first started watching the Griffith Show, i got to be honest, I was a little kid, and I'm thinking, Dad, this is black and white. This is the lamest thing I've ever seen on television. What do you mean black? Where, where in the world are trees black and white or grass black? And, what is this? But the more I sat with my dad and watched the Andy Griffith Show, let me tell you what happened. I began to love the Andy Griffith Show to the point that now i got four kids. Guess what? All four of my kids love the Andy Griffith Show. They love it. We'll, we'll, we'll watch it sometimes. We'll go on vacation. We'll take DVDs and we'll just watch four or five hours in a row of Andy Griffith. We just love the Andy Griffith show. Here's what happened. I started loving what my dad loved. You see, as we spent time together, what my dad loved, I started loving. As obedient children, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because I'm holy. You see, holiness is not born out of rules. Holiness is born out of relationships. Let me show it to you in another place in the Bible, and we'll close with this verse. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Can I tell you how I heard that for the first 12 years of my Christian life? First 12 years of my Christian life, here's how I heard that verse. If you love me, you better obey me. And so as a Christian, the focus of my life was on obedience. And I tried to show God how much I loved Him by doing everything I could to obey Him. Anybody ever lived there? How'd that work out for you, right? Not too good. Because here's what I found out. No matter how hard I try, I couldn't live up to His standard. I always fail. He didn't say, if you love me, you better. Here's what He said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Emphasis not on keeping commandments. Emphasis on loving me. If you 
love me. That will take care of itself. You see, obedience is not the goal of the life of a Christian. Intimacy with God is the goal. Obedience is what flows out of my life when I'm filled up with love for the Father. And here's the reality today. If there is an area in my life where I am struggling with personal holiness, it's really an area where I'm struggling in my love relationship with Jesus. Because the bottom line is I love my sin, I love myself more than I love him in those areas. Because he said, if you love me, if you love me. I love this because it drives us back to Jesus. How do we be holy? Here's the answer. Jesus. Can I be honest with you? My, my personal holiness and my personal spiritual barometer rises and falls based on my time alone with Jesus. I've been walking with God now for 25 years, I guess. And for 25 years, my, my personal devotional life, everything about rises and falls based on time alone with Jesus. My ability to live in victory over stuff rises and falls based on my time alone with Jesus. My ability to experience faithfulness in my life rises and falls based on my time alone with Jesus. When I'm alone with Jesus, when I'm pursuing Him intimately, when my heart is consumed with a passion for Him, guess what happens? All that stuff grows pale and cheap. But when I'm not alone with Him, those things entangle my heart and lure me from him. Clyde wrote it this way. This is not on the screen, but I want you to hear it. Yet though he has been conquered by the love of Christ, there are still times when the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the boastful pride of life overtake him and cause him to stumble. Anybody else identify with that out there? He is distracted and He's distracted by the deceptions of Satan and the allures of the world and his gaze on Christ gets diverted. At those times, he finds maintaining his holiness a hard task. Why? Because although he loves God, the love of sin and the love of self are still very strong in him. The world still holds some attraction. Were this not so, living a holy life would be simple. Only by daily forsaking self and deliberately focusing his heart on Christ can his love for Christ overshadow his love of self. Christ must so captivate our souls and fill our spirits that in contrast, the attractions of the world grow pale and cheap. He must become to us more precious and dear until he is altogether lovely. Then we will be constrained by the love of Christ. Then will the mere mention of his name in favored moments bring a lump to the throat and a weeping to the heart. Then will we feel that holiness is not so difficult 
after all.